Hey friends, welcome to the Victor Marks podcast with Victor Marks, founder of All Things Possible Ministries. Welcome to the show where we bring you real conversations facing life's hard truths, stories of redemption, and the latest from the front lines. Whether you're on the road, getting your day started, or finally settling in, we've got an exciting new episode planned for you. So let's dive into today's show. Before we get into today's episode, I want to share with you something of extreme value that we're offering you today. We all know that the media can be biased when it comes to the news, and well, that's why we created the Daily Intelligence Brief. It's delivered straight to your inbox each morning, and these briefs, it's designed to get you up to speed on the real news of the day. No opinions, just facts. So just go to victormarks.com and sign up for our Daily Intelligence Brief We call it the dib today. So now let's get to today's episode. This is a special one as we are bringing you into a conversation that was actually aired on Dr. James Dobson's family talk a few years back. This is an interview that is close to my heart as I've highly respected the work of Dr. Dobson, seeing how I worked for him. And he's both a a boss, a mentor, and actually now he's a friend. His ministry over the years has brought healing and hope and redemption to countless hurting families. Go to drjamesdobson.org to find out more. On today's show, we're bringing you an interview that his son Ryan conducted with my bride Eileen and, well, yours truly. You'll hear my story and get an understanding for why we do what we do. Let's toss it over to Ryan Dobson now on this edition of The Victor Marks Show. I'm Ryan Dobson, and today I am so excited about our guest in the studio with me. His name is Victor Marks with his wife, Eileen. He has one of the most incredible testimonies I've ever heard, and you're going to be amazed at what God has brought this man through. But before we get to that, I want to share you a little bit more about Victor Marks. He is a seventh-degree black belt, a former U.S. Marine, a filmmaker, a sought-after speaker. He's the founder and president of All Things Possible, a national faith-based organization He's been working with troubled youth for two decades now. Victor is best known for being the fastest gun disarm. Is that true? Yeah. Fastest. So if I look up in Guinness. Well, it's world record. World record. Uh, Guinness won't put it in theirs because of the violent aspect. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So Politically correct Guinness book world records. They've changed. How sad. So, yeah. How sad. (laughs) And uh, that video has been seen over 17 million times. Is that right? Yeah. The channel has. uh, It's probably well over that because of uh, the different distribution links. So, yeah, it's been fun. Wow. It's been fun. How did you get into gun disarming? Well. We've got to get to your testimony, but I want to start with... What made you decide you wanted to get into, and how did you know you were getting to be the fastest one? Well, you know, there? it's nothing that I ever tried to be the mm-hmm. fastest. It's just something I started doing as part of my training, you know, kind of 30 years ago. Um, and, I, you know, I knew the relevance of being able to defend yourself against weapons or tools or against folks. But I just started uh, shaving the fat off of a good technique, mm-hmm. and it became faster and faster. Now it's timed at eight-tenths of a second, so uh, I'm waiting for somebody to, to beat the record so I can come back and beat them again. There you go. No. You know, you're working with kids all over the country, kids mm-hmm. that are in juvenile detention centers, locked up, 
violent offenders, and these are yeah. kids under 18. Oh, yeah. We've seen them as young as eight years old locked up. I just saw there are over 200,000 juveniles yes. locked up in the United States alone. Yeah, tonight they'll, they'll be locked up sleeping in a bed. 200,000. That breaks my heart. They're kids. Kids. I mean, I talk to high school kids, and it, as I get older, they get younger. Right. I mean, I know yeah. that's natural, yeah. but I look at them, and I just think, you're so, like, Laura's, you know, when I go speak to the high school kids in the summer, she goes, how was it? I'm like, they're so little. You're right, right. They're so, they're just like little baby kids, <laughs> you know? And I just think they're locked up all over the, I mean, 200,000 children. Ron, i never forget, uh, we were in a big facility, 700 beds, maximum security facility. And then I was taken into security security, Ooh. right? It's where they have to take kids out of the, and we're walking through and these are super cells. And I see a kid and he's a little kid and he's jumping from a bed to the wall to the sink and he's just jumping. And bouncing I'm off the walls, literally. Bouncing off the walls. And I, I looked at the, uh, the, the warden with us and I said, can you open this door? I'd like to talk to him. So he opens in, this kid stops, he turns and he looks at me. Little bitty guy, he's barely 10. And he's in maximum security. Max. I mean, he's been taken out of yeah, regular he, maximum security. He's in lockdown. He's in lockdown. Yeah, he's in the hole. Mm -hmm. All right. And he opened the door and said, hey, what are you doing? And he looks at me and he goes, I'm, I'm just playing. I oh. just went, this is a kid that should be playing in a playground. Right. Not making a, a lockdown cell, oh his playground. Yeah, it's sad. And your heart for these kids comes from your own past. You've got a crazy past. I've watched your video. Um, yeah. It's yeah. a tough one. Yeah. Talk a know, little bit about your past, and let's talk about what the change was. But where were you born and raised? Yep. You know, where did this all start? I'm, I'm from Louisiana originally, so if people detect an accent, that's, yeah. that's the Cajun one. My dad's hidden his mostly. Like yeah. He's, he's, every <laughs> now and then you'll hear it slip in a little bit. Someone's like, your dad's Southern? I'm like, oh, Shreveport, yeah. Shreveport and Beaumont, Put some Texas. red beans and rice in him. He'll Amen. start talking. But you know what? Uh, for me, I came from a, a challenged background. My father didn't claim me as his kid when mm. my mom was pregnant. He actually ended up being a drug dealer and a pimp. My mother married six times. I went to 14 schools, lived in 17 different houses. Wow. But... You know, I suffered abuse as a kid uh, and actually was left for dead when I was five years old in a commercial cooler. The guy who did that, my family, when they found me, I was unconscious, they actually found him and beat him senseless, hogtied him and hung him from a tree behind my grandmother's house in Mississippi. So that was really my foundation, which was huge mistrust for adults. And you're seeing that with kids, too. Oh, yeah. You, know, you get abused as a child. All yep. authority then goes away. Absolutely. You fear all authority figures because they're the ones that have been hurting you. Yeah. You experienced that growing up. Were you an angry kid? Were you? Did I, you fight a lot? Were yeah. you a violent kid? All of it. I, you know, I was angry, and some people hide angry differently. Mm -hmm. You know, I tried to use a lot of humor, but I was always ready to snap. And, uh, you know, like we talked earlier, yeah. you know, uh, you don't have to be good to fight. <laughs> That's true. You can just— I know uh, that from personal experience. Yeah, scrappy-do. Yeah. And so there were a lot of people caught the—I'll never forget one time this big bully was uh, leaning into me, and he looked like he could absolutely crush me, and he was intimidating me. And I just stopped, and my mind kind of switched, mm -hmm. and my eyes looked different. And I just said, I got one question for you. You ever been locked in a cooler and left for dead? Because I have. And then his eyes switched, and he said, oh, my— I'm yeah. dealing with a crazy man. I said, yeah. How'd your parents find you? 
How'd your family find you when you were locked? Well, I didn't come home. Yeah. Uh, you know, that morning I was playing outside, middle of the summer, shorts, you know, no shoes, country. And uh, they looked in the woods and they looked down by a pond. They thought mm-hmm. maybe I'd drown. And it was in between two chicken houses. There was this one building where they would separate the eggs and, and chicken. And you weren't supposed to be in there. Not. But the guy this lured guy, you in there. Yeah, this guy kind of lured me in there. And, uh, and then there was a cooler in there. So when they looked everywhere else, they came to that place, opened it up, and they found me unconscious. My goodness. So, Did you go to the hospital? No. Country. What a warm blanket and duct tape can do. Uh, I was unconscious from it all. But, and the sad thing, too, is I never received help. Uh, my family, because they dealt with things violently. But, you know, if a kid's abused or suffered, it's important to get them to talk to someone about sure. it. Help a kid process, because if you don't, a kid really can't process. Well, why? So I took it on. It was must have been my fault. There must have been something wrong with me. And then you live with that stamp or that label, either by others or what you place on yourself. And it's not the truth. And the kids you work with, do they feel that way as Absolutely. well? Absolutely. And I, you know, I tell them, I go, do not live according to the labels other people have given you mm-hmm. or you've given yourself. And the first thing I tell folks, if you've ever suffered abuse or injustice, the shame is not yours. Yeah. Never was. But people live with that, like, oh, it must be me. It's not. The shame belongs to the perpetrator. Mm-hmm. So what was it like for you in high school? And Well, you know, growing up, all I wanted to do is grow up. And yeah. uh, I just wanted to get out uh, of where I was, you know, the constant different schools. And, you know, I got bullied in different things. And I was, so I understand kids' heart and angst and pain. But I, as soon as I get out of school, pretty much I joined the Marine Corps. Uh, I joined the day after the Beirut bombing oh, yeah. in Lebanon, and uh, I'll never forget, you know, man, they issued me an M16, and I was like, so I can shoot people? And they're like, uh, you got issues, young man. It's like, yes, I do. And uh, back then, they were like, well, come on in. Uh, but, you know, it's harder <laughs> nowadays. But I understand why and how people transfer anger to other people based on what they've suffered. Mm-hmm. And uh, that type of lifestyle makes you hard. And, you know, whether I'm talking to kids in jail, like you high schoolers, colleges, or military, I speak at a lot of military bases, too, at men's conferences, is to say, don't be hard. Be tough, but don't be hard. Mm. You know, you got to be tough in this world. This is a dark, uncaring, unjust world. But you got to be tough so you're not taken advantage of and stuff. But, but being hard— that affects a person's soul. And this sweet lady right next to me, my bride of 25 years with our five kids, if Christ did not come in and soften these spots in my heart, then I would not have been able to receive the love that she wanted to give me. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have the capacity to give her the love that I truly want to give her. How did you come to the Lord? How did you find him? You know, about six months before I got out of the Marine Corps, I got a letter from my biological dad, the one who did not claim me. Really? Yep. And How did he find you? You know, he was known in the martial arts world. So I had met him a couple of few times, just couldn't really connect. Uh, he had had a crazy life. I mean, he had gone into a mental hospital. It was the same mental hospital my biological grandfather, wow. his dad, died in. Mm-hmm. So I just figured, you know, and I had to go into psychiatric care, 123 visits in nine months. Uh, because of the trauma. Uh, trauma often results in varying levels of PTSD. Yep. Although I have 
no initials behind my name. I've lived it, yeah. and I've seen it lived out. So that's why we give hope that there is help for it. Well, I mean, your mom was married six times, but you yeah. had a stepdad that was abusive, that would yep. hold a gun to your head, that would mm-hmm. threaten to kill you, and you all escaped out of a window yep. in the night to get away from him. I mean, yeah. you, you've gone through... I mean, just an overwhelming amount of abuse and trauma. Yeah. So you're getting ready to get out of the military, and all of a sudden, out of the blue— A letter. A letter. Yeah. It aggravated me because, Ryan, it started off, dear son. Oh. And I thought, you're going to call me your son. You had sex with my mom. You put a pistol to her head the night she got pregnant. Don't tell me. But this letter, he went on to say, hey, you know, I know I've never been there. I know you think I'm crazy. And then he goes, I'm crazy this time for Jesus Christ. And my biological dad is now telling me he became a Christian, which is freaking me out. Yeah. But his letter was so compelling. He just said, hey, I just want to visit with you. I took leave of absence, went down and visited him, southern Louisiana. And uh, and here's this guy, flat nose, oh, yeah. bouncer for 27 years, big tats, Popeye forms. He was a scrapper. I mean, that's, that's what he did. And he just goes, uh, Dixie Mafia. Yeah, yeah. And he, boy, he had a rough life. I'll never forget that. I was watching your your film, <laughs> and he says, uh, you know, we didn't hang people and da da da. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then he goes, we just fed them to the gators. And I was like, oh, yeah, that moment of awkwardness. Y- you, th- you know, because the way it started off, it was like, well, you know, we were in the Southern Mafia, but we weren't like. You know, those other guys, we didn't shoot people and stab them. And, and I was like, oh, so maybe it wasn't that bad. And then he finishes like, we just fed them to the gators. I'm like, yeah. oh, it was worse. Okay. I remember the film crew, they, when they were recording, they came back and said, yeah. is he serious? I go, yeah. He says it jokingly, but it, it shows how God can redeem even the worst, right? Mm-hmm. So he gets saved. He reaches out to his son. I visit him. He invites me to church. I go. Was to, that just, I mean— Was your mind reeling? It's like getting hit and you're back on your heels. You've got this guy who you've had anger towards your whole life. Yeah, where was he? Didn't claim you, hurt your identity, your self-worth, all All these things. And now he's asking you to go to church? Yeah. And I told him I didn't want to go. He goes, I said, no. But he had trained a lot of fighters, right? Mm -hmm. And there was a few of these fighters that were going to go. He says, well, so-and-so and so. And I knew these were knuckle draggers. So here I am, a Marine. I'm like, well, if they're going, I ain't scared. I'll go. We go to church. I'm sitting there, and here's what really got me. They're singing. Everybody's singing and worshiping God. And I see these guys, these tough, tough dudes that would get your back in a heartbeat with any fight, right? And they're raising their hands, and they're singing to God. Hmm. And I remember sitting there going, whoa, this is real. And God's Spirit convicted me of my sin. It was indescribable, the conviction of how much I was a sinner and that he died on that cross for me. And at the same time, I felt these waves of his love. Mm-hmm. My eyes started to leak, you know, and I wow. was trying to pull myself together. I was saying, come on, Marine, what are you doing? You stop being emotional. And uh, boy, right then, I surrendered my life to Christ and, and asked for forgiveness. And and he just kept loving me. I mean, it was a supernatural thing. I could feel these supernatural waves of love hitting me. And I was like, why are you loving me? This is the first time in my life I've ever bowed my heart to you, God. Yeah. I'm admitting I'm wrong. And, you know, I was raised, don't ever hit a man when he's down, you kick him. So I'm thinking, God, this is when you can kick me. And God's not like that. 
And anybody listening, regardless of the background, God's not waiting to smack you over your head with a hammer. He loves you. He loves you. So what was it like to then go back to the Marines? You're almost out. Yeah. Was it a big change? Was there that conversation in your head of, oh, I have to act different now? No, Ryan, that's a great question. When I went back to the Corps, you know, and I was was a weapons instructor and, you know, we were all about it. um, I didn't want to tell anybody. Yeah. Because I was thinking, I don't know really what happened. Uh, And one day I'm with some Marines and we're doing something and boom, I hit my hand. Uh, and normally I'd, I'd cuss, man. I'd peel the paint off a wall. And I'll never forget, I went, doggone it. And they, it was everybody kind of stopped and looked at me. One guy goes, doggone it. He goes, what's up, Opie? And uh, we all started laughing. And I, I remember thinking, why didn't I just cuss? Right. Why? And then that same guy caught me in the parking lot at lunch. Uh, we were going to go eat or something. And he goes, hey, what, what's up with you, man? And I, out of my mouth, without even pre-trying it, I just said, I'm born again. And then we both looked at each other, and I was like, did I just say that? Did I just say? And I realized I am born again. And then step by step by step, God started the sanctification process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still tried the club. Didn't feel good. Um, I still had my temper when I want to flatten somebody. And God would say, you can, but you don't have to. Mm-hmm. You can, but you don't have to. Let me be your strength. And I started learning that. And I thank God that when people follow him, even as new believers, it's never about perfection. It's about direction. And that's all the Lord wants. Just follow him. So let's continue the story. Yeah. Get out of the Marines. Get out the Marines. I uh, I realized, you know, uh, as a Christian, you're not supposed to have sex. So I said, well, I guess I got to get married. And uh, because I, hey, you know, I'm a man and I know God created that. And but I started seeking him and he brought me the most amazing woman, godly woman. And and Eileen sitting next to me and she became a new Christian and we kind of grew together. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you her the story. Eileen, how'd you guys meet? I was not a believer. Uh So I was invited to a church by one of my students. You were a teacher? I was a a fitness instructor. All right. Yeah. So I went and um, I actually met Victor, I think, that same day. He was fresh out of the Marines, you know, that nice high and tight haircut. Yeah, I was cleaned up pretty good. Great smile. And, but I was not a believer yet, but I was. but I wanted to evangelize. Yes. Let me tell you right now. <laughs> yes. Let me do the evangelism, Lord. So Victor and I became friends. Yeah. Genuine and actually friends. the church staff knew that I wasn't a believer. And they said, Victor, leave her alone. Don't try to date her. Don't do anything, which is very wise. Yeah, we, we believe. You know, that, was, that was wisdom. Yes. Now let me guess, though, because I think we have a little bit of a similar personality. Uh-huh. Men of like someone passion. says, no, you can't do that. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I pursued her like a hound dog. Uh-huh. There's, okay. there's no doubt about that. And, uh, and we were friends, but I, I loved that woman from the moment I saw her. I saw her coming into the church, and I literally, I said, God, I'll marry that one. So I always loved her. I was sweet on her. She saw me as a friend, as a nice brother in Christ. and we Couldn't hurt to go to church for the first time meet a good-looking guy, though. <laughs> <laughs> Probably wasn't what you were expecting. No, no. Actually, he wasn't. Uh, somebody that I had normally dated. Mm-hmm. And 
I mean, because I'm, I'm not even a believer yet. This whole yeah. Christianity is so new to me. Yeah, she had dated stupid, ignorant, <laughs> messed up, <laughs> demonized yeah. scum. Like, okay, right? like, yeah, no, like exactly. everyone does before I'm they... totally yes. joking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, she actually came to me. I, I was helping on staff at a church. Uh, she had become a Christian, and we were friends. But I remember she came to me one night, and she goes, you know, I'm dating this guy, and I, I don't really understand. He still wants to, like, party and drink, but we're Christians. And what do you think? I said, that guy is a spawn of Satan. You must leave him now. Yeah. Uh, again, you know, I'm thinking, I, I love this woman. She oh, doesn't yeah. know it yet. Well, long story short, uh, a year and a half after we became friends, we were married. Oh, so. Yeah. I do believe that if we do we do seek God, and even if we don't know what we're doing, if we seek God, He'll direct our paths. And I do believe He'll bring us our mate if we're seeking Him, mm-hmm. not trying to do it on our own. Yeah. And, and the the one thing that I love is that when we did meet, and you know, when we changed our relationship from friendship to oh, we, this is getting Sweetville, we did decide to keep our relationship pure. Mm-hmm. We said, you know, I mean, we've done in the world that that don't work. Mm-hmm. Why don't we honor God? And we did. And I'll tell you what, man, that's one of the things I encourage young people all around the country. Do it God's way. I mean, the world, it causes problems, right? But purity God's way, we've been married 25 years now. I've never cheated or been cheated on. I'm the first person in three generations of my family that can say that by the grace of God. So it does work. Right. What were you doing for work at that time? I started teaching karate. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, as a martial arts instructor. And then uh, she came on board once we got married, and uh, she was teaching fitness. And that really became my career. Mm-hmm. And we ended up in Hawaii after many years and had one of the largest martial arts schools and facilities. And remember fitness kickboxing oh, that yeah. came out. Eileen was uh, the founder of that. And uh, we had a very good run. And then God called us into ministry. Awesome. Yeah. So the Lord calls you into ministry at the same time. Were you talking about it? Was that even on your radar? Something you wanted to do? Like, how did that come about? And what kind of ministry? Yeah, we used our martial arts schools as ministry. We, we use that as a way to reach people for Christ. Uh, because people who wouldn't come to church normally, but wanted to train, they would come into this big martial arts school. Sure. And uh, so, I mean, it was great. We, we've been able to reach kids to... SEAL team guys, everybody who wants to have good training. And then we, we even started reaching out to prostitutes. When we were in Live Hawaii, we would go and give free memberships to, to girls working the street, and they started coming in. And uh, that that was a pretty amazing time. Wow. So, yeah, work is worship, and we use it for ministry. How did you start ministering to kids? Why did you want to go to a lockup? Why did you, you know, what put on your heart juvenile detention centers and 200,000 kids that are locked up? Cause yeah. I don't think most people have any idea that's out there. Right. I think that's a shock to most people listening today. They're hearing for the first time there's 200,000 children yeah. under the age of 18 locked up in prisons and juvenile facilities around the country. Yeah. That's an astronomical number. Yeah, and, and that's not even including the, the mental wards, right? Oh. Halfway houses. And foster care, all of the foster, it's almost a yeah. cyclical mm. thing. But someone invited me uh, to go into a juvenile facility, yeah. share my story. And do martial arts demonstration. So I said, okay. And I was nervous. There's 75 kids there. 
they're sitting there all looking at me real hard. I'm thinking, right. I shouldn't be doing this. And, you know, most things that God calls us to, you'll feel uncomfortable at first. Like, oh, I'm not the right person for this. Early, early on in my speaking career, and I call it career then. It wasn't a career. It was just right. there was a guy I knew that would – he would just tell me, oh, hey, do you want to go talk here? And I'd say, okay. Right. You know? And <laughs> I remember I was getting like 30 bucks, and he, he signed me up for an event. I showed up. It was the kids of migrant farm workers. Oh, my. They were 95% illegal. Wow. And, you know, at that time, I'm in my early 20s. Oh, my. Blonde hair, blue eyes. Oh I couldn't. I didn't shave till I was 30. I mean, I couldn't grow <laughs> facial hair at that time. I so up, relatable. And <laughs> I've done all these Christian events. I've been doing, right. you know, high school chapels where they're, mm-hmm. you know, they're playing worship music ahead of time. I promise you, I walked into the event I'm supposed to speak at, and they were playing Snoop Dogg unedited. Oh, my. Like That's they, an opportunity. I mean, every swear word, that every vulgar. What a great event. And I remember standing up just thinking, I have no <laughs> business being here. There's not one aspect of my life right. that I could relate to these kids. And I mean, yeah. I was so inadequate, but that's and, what the and, Lord called me and, to do. And your obedience to trust him there, look at where you are now. Yeah. I mean, reaching. I've fell on my face many, many times in front of crowds, but the Lord yeah. would just say, What an opportunity you've got. Right. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. We'd love to stay connected with you and invite you to the conversation beyond this podcast. You can check out more of the work we're doing around the world at victormarks.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all linked in the show notes. Be sure to drop us a comment in the review section if today's show has impacted you in any way or if there's anything you'd like to hear more of. We're always encouraged to hear from you. Thanks for spending your time with us. Until next time. Oh,